This is The Rest is PR with Lyle Fulton and Jackie Vores. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to The Rest is PR. My name, as it will always be, barring instant, is Lyle Fulton. And I'm joined, as I hope I always will be, by the wonderful, the effervescent, there we go, we'll go with that, Jackie Vores. Jackie, (laughs) oh, yeah, we'll go with that. Jackie, how are you this fine Friday morning we're back on Fridays (laughs) obviously bubbly yeah obviously feeling great Friday morning how's your week been how is everything going in the world of Jackie in the world of the motor how's things going oh you know it's been a week of highs actually this week and I know that I shouldn't date this podcast but from uh, highs and lows actually I'll say a high is obviously West Ham winning its first European piece of silverware which literally screaming you should see the hill Anyway, so that was great. And then the low was McAllister going to Liverpool. And I'm I'm delighted, by the way, that your highs and lows this week have kind of centred on football, because as you know, <laughs> I'm a very passionate football fan. Uh, and so I was like, and I kind of half expected when you introduced some highs and lows, I half expected them to be like, oh, yeah, well, you know, there was this going on in the kind of the world of the Mozo, but then I had this going on. No, both football related. Love that. Absolutely brilliant. McAllister, I mean, sad to see him go, but what, what a fantastic servant to Brighton Football Club. Oh, my God, he's been amazing. He's You'll been do great. what you always do. Brighton will do what Brighton Brian always do. We will, you know, ever move forward. Exactly right. You, you ready for this segue? You ready? <laughs> Go on. You ready for this segue, right? Brighton will do what Brighton always do, which is that they will, you know, send McAllister off with their well wishes and replace McAllister with someone equally as good, if not better. Uh, and that's kind of uh, what what the rest is PR tends to do when uh, when it comes to their guests, because uh, <laughs> we 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 wave goodbye to a fantastic guest uh, in weeks <laughs> gone by, and we welcome. A guest who is, I'm sure, like to be equally as good, if not better than guests we've had in the past. We are joined this week, listeners, by the absolutely brilliant Charles Orton Jones. Now, Charles, welcome to the podcast. We'd like to have you here before we say hello to you and sort of ask you a little bit about what you've been up to, your career so far. Classic Lyle Fulton intro to one of our guests. This one is an absolutely brilliant introduction, uh, listeners, because Charles, what hasn't Charles done in the world of journalism? Charles, first and foremost, is the founder and editor of Business Age, which is an online publication specializing in entrepreneurship and revolutionary business thinkers. Uh, Charles is also a business journalist, again, specializing in entrepreneurship and small businesses. Uh, Charles has previously been the editor of Euro Business Magazine, deputy editor of Real Business Magazine. Charles has also written for The Guardian, Financial Management, CBI's magazine Business Voice, And what's more, in 2006, Charles won the incredibly prestigious PPA Business Writer of the Year Award. I hope I've got that all in. And Charles, (laughs) listeners, by the way, before we went live, he was like, you know, you don't need to make my intro this long. Let's just get straight stuck into it. But I wanted to because they're all extraordinary achievements. First and foremost, Charles, welcome to the rest of PR. How are you doing this fine Friday? Yeah, I'm great. You know, Lyle and Jackie, I'm so pleased to be here, but I feel bad because you guys are so eloquent and you're so good at promoting PR. And I have to warn your listeners. I, you know, I'm on here in the guise of Gordon Ramsay, Ramsay and Kitchen Nightmares. Um, I accumulated just this massive list of complaints about PRs and was starting to have steam shoot out my ears. And I thought, you know, you know what, fuck it. I'm going to come on this program and I'm going to say why I think four out of five PRs are abysmal at their jobs. But actually, I'm going to be constructive. I'm going to say what's going wrong and how to fix it. So I really hope by the end of this episode, people listening to it can identify with what I'm saying. But also go back into their agencies and go, okay, here's what we need to change because things cannot go on as they are. I'm the editor of Business Age. And yeah, as I said, four out of five agencies I'm dealing with 
are, are incompetent. They cannot do their jobs. And I, I pity their clients. Why they're shelling out all this money for PRs who cannot help them, I do not know. So, Lyle, as I say, it's a pleasure to be here. Oh, thank you, Josh. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, we're actually delighted that you've come on. We've been really, Jackie and I have been really, really excited for this episode. First and foremost, by the way, listeners, I'm going to just pull disclosures. Yeah, and a bit terrified. And that's where I'm going to go. Full disclosure on this, listeners. I'm delighted I got to meet Charles for five minutes before we went live on this podcast because he's a lovely chap, a very eloquent chap. Um, but reading the emails back and forth, I think the first email I got is, yeah, really excited to come on the rest as PR and just absolutely hammer PRs. And I was like, right, I've been kind of building up to this episode now, kind of trying to kind of get the defences going. But yeah, I'm actually really delighted you've come on and, and that this is a topic that we're actually going to discuss and explore. Normally as well, as you know, listeners, mm. I would launch straight into Charles. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your career so far. But we've heard all of that. Let's jump straight in. I mean, first things first, your issue. You know, what what is what is okay. the central issue? Okay, here? now first first of all, I love PRs. I cannot do my job without PRs. PRs are an essential part of a capitalist market economy. When there's a brilliant business or brilliant invention, how does the world get to find out about it through PRs? it dies on its ass without PRs. So, you know, I rely on the expertise of PRs to introduce me to entrepreneurs to make my life easier. So, uh, I mean, I, I'm cheering you guys on. I want you guys to be brilliant. I founded Business Age because there were very, really very few business magazines left. Being a PR is an incredibly hard job at the moment. Now, when I was starting out, there were loads of business magazines. I used to work on Fleet Street. I used to go to the cartoonist pub on a Friday and there would be four or 500 people outside. That is what journalism was like. All of those magazines have gone bust. I'm talking maybe 80 to 100 magazines have disappeared. Where are PRs supposed to put their stories? I don't know. So I founded Business Age. My message was, we'll publish opinion pieces by entrepreneurs. It's an open goal. You've just got to write a piece of about 700 words, and we will publish it. And your customers can read it. Was that something that PRs could, could rise to and respond to? Absolutely not. It turns into, into a nightmare job because the quality of articles I get is abysmal. PRs do not know how to write opinion pieces. And I'm saying, I'm saying four out of five, it could be nine out of 10. It could be one in 30 that I would regard as a properly, you know, nine out of 10 genuinely well-written piece that could go into say the Times or another top tier newspaper. And I've really thought, what, why is this the case? Why can't PRs do this? And I, I've come up with some diagnoses which I hope will then lead on to how they can be fixed. So I say, I hope by the end of this episode, PRs are going to go away back into their agencies and, and say, okay, here's what we need to change. Now, did, am I being insulting, Lyle? Tell me, because you're nodding and smiling. No, 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 like, I'm, oh no, I'm no, I'm no. I tell you no what, so far, here. no, Charles, so far, I tell you what, I, I, in a weird sort of way, and Jackie and I have touched on this before, I'm inclined to, I can't believe I'm about to say this, and Jackie's going to go, oh my goodness. I'm inclined to kind of half agree with you. But my capacity as a PR professional alongside the other jobs that I do is that for Demozo in particular, alongside hosting this podcast, I also write for Demozo. Now I consider myself quite fortunate in that like I've always really enjoyed writing and I didn't necessarily, you know, growing up and like through my kind of academia and things like that, before I went to drama school, write things like press releases or opinion pieces. I like kind of writing stories and I like writing scripts and plays. And I like to think that I've been able to transfer those skills across and kind of make them dynamic and engaging. But I think you're right, and, and Jackie might be able to kind of elaborate on this even further. There are some people who don't necessarily have that kind of pre-existing passion for writing, Absolutely. who then kind of take far too much of a technical view towards how they write and how they construct a piece. And it does become a bit kind of saccharine, you know, it becomes a bit kind of like, you know, a bit clinical. This is just it. And there's nothing. Okay. You, you've leapt ahead. This is 100% this is it. One of my diagnoses yeah. is that 
very few people enjoy reading and writing. Half of Britons have not read a book in the last year. And I've noticed occasionally talking to PRs and I say, who's your favorite journalist? Who's your favorite writer? They haven't got one. Now, you're never going to succeed them. This is the worst category of person, the person with no interest in literature at all. That is rare. The best PRs, and I, you know, I, I really do come across, but I'm saying it's four out of five are bad. One in five are really very good. They're people with an interest in literature. They read for fun, amazingly. And I have a horrible, horrible feeling that that is dying. There's a beautiful article by James Marriott in The Times recently. Just, I love James Marriott. He's one of the best writers. You know, if you listen to this podcast, you do nothing else. Just check out his back catalogue in The Times. He was their literary editor. Now he's then one of their main commentators. But he's just chronicling the collapse of English literature as a degree at universities. I think Sheffield Hallam has just closed its English faculty completely. Last year, Cumbria did. Birkbeck has just sacked half of the people. And there's one university head who says, I used to expect students to easily read a novel in a week, and I just can't expect that anymore. He says, we used to teach Middlemarch. We don't anymore. And he says, just even expecting them to get to the, or even one academic saying, they used to give hour-long lectures. Today, it's only 20-minute chunks. It's all students can cope with. And I do wonder whether part of this is a collapse in attention span, a collapse in literacy. But having said that, Kindle sales are through the roof. So, okay, let me be more specific. What's going wrong? What is an opinion piece? Opinion piece, you're supposed to make an argument. You have a line you're trying to convince the reader of. And it is one line. It is one point. The Financial Times sports writer, Simon Cooper, put it this way. Only one idea per article. I once offered an editor an 800-word article. I told him various brilliant points I wanted to make. He pretended to listen patiently and then said, most readers can only remember one idea from an article. Just make one good point, he said. Buttress it with facts and anecdotes. And if an hour later the reader can remember your point, that's a triumph. Since then, I've tried to make only one point per article. Hallelujah. That's an opinion piece. You've only got 700 words. And what I will get is pitches saying, I've got a client, it's a digital marketing agency. They do SEO. I say, what do you want to write about? What's your pitch? And they go, "Um, how to do SEO? Like, no, that's not, you can't do that in 700 words. (laughs) It's like saying, I want to write how to cook in 700 words. You need a recipe. And the finer, the better. The, 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 the more zoomed in you are, the better. And in fact, the, my hero in this, and I'm not joking here, is um, Adrian Childs, who writes for The Guardian. He's actually dating the editor of The Guardian. And whether that gets him in, I don't know. But okay, here are some of his titles. And I say, so instead of saying, you know, how to do SEO or anything like that, here are Adrian, Adrian Childs' titles. He says, stuck in a post office queue, all I could think about was how much I hate self-checkouts. You know exactly what that article is about. Here's another one. This is a genuine article. I recently saw something in a petrol station toilet southbound on the M1 that I can never unsee. <laughs> You're going to click. It's clickbait. Yeah. He's got a point. He's going to make it. Yeah. And so all I'm saying with PRs is pick your argument, your theme that you want to convince the reader of, and then go to town on it. And my other thing is have fun with it. I mean, Lyle, you're talking about you know, how much you enjoy writing. My biggest advice to business writers is pretend it's not business. Mm. Imagine yeah. you're writing for, say, Cosmopolitan magazine or you're writing for a close friend and you want to make them laugh. If you have some fun with it, readers will get to the end. If it is jargonistic, readers will not. I once received an article which had the word omnichannel twice in the first sentence. And when I said to the guy, this isn't going to work, is it? He couldn't understand what I was talking about. 
what we're talking about omnichannel. Why don't I start like that? Oh my God, because it's boring. <laughs> so let's I, unpick that a little bit because I honestly couldn't agree with you more. And one of the, my mantras through all of these podcasts has been that human beings cannot take in more than one point. You know, it's two at best. And just recently we've been talking about the Philip Schofield TV interview that he did. And he, that was a masterclass in messaging. His main message was, I'm to blame, I'm to fault. So that was, you know, that was a masterclass in TV, live TV messaging. And equally, when you're trying to make any point, whether it be in the press release, whether it be in an opinion piece, you have to settle on your one point or your one argument. So once you decided about that, then, as you say, you bring to life, you bring it to life, you enjoy it. You think, okay, how can I illustrate this the best way? You come up with a great example of Adrian Childs, whose writing is so full of imagery and fun and humour that even I looked at his book about alcohol and mm. how you could cut down. I don't I don't agree with that point. I think you can't really cut down. I think you've just got to cut it. But anyway, that's a whole other subject. But yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think... The second thing that you said was thinking about having fun with it and enjoying it. And this is part of my problem with PRs. I think they're too, or the way people in PR are taught to be, is it's too to the line, to the book, to the way that you think that your client wants you to present their argument. And that's a real problem because it means that people are as, they're not consultants, they're robots. Mm. And as we know, the robots are coming, Charles. They are coming down the line. We won't need people to be robots because there are chat GPT and everything else can do that much better than us. So what we need is... Yeah, my my biggest piece of advice to PRs is push back your clients when they insist on writing something tedious. It is your job to say, no, that's not going to work. Okay, this is a headline I got from a press release today. I'm not even going to blank out the company names. Tink will embed ecolytic solution into its platform to scale sustainability services across Europe. And the first line, Tink, Europe's leading open banking platform and ecolytic, a climate engagement solution, are collaborating to incorporate financial and sustainability-focused coaching into a seamless experience. I'm not reading beyond that line. I mean, that's already, I mean, some something I've already been taught, and I feel like this is just basic, is that that first line is already, you know, forget the content within it. That first line is already miles too long. Yeah, miles. Uh, absolutely. Like, in terms of just, absolutely. Just, in ter- just in terms of readability. Like, you yep. know, there are scales that I kind of look at when I'm writing. That's basic. I know. get people to read out what they've written. Perfect. If you, yeah, so you just showed... You just showed that you you had trouble just I, reading that I was, one sentence. I was running out of oxygen, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And if you don't read out loud what you've written and see how the cadence goes, you can't mm. identify with the reader. I'm really intrigued to kind of dissect this a little mm. bit because I was kind of thinking about this before we went live this morning. And actually, the conversation that we've had so far on this podcast has expanded this question for me even further. Because something that we spoke about in our kind of email back and forth, Charles, as well, is that you are of the belief, and and I'm inclined to agree with you, that even five, six years ago, this was not the case, or certainly it was less the case than it is now. And we've obviously Mm. kind of elaborated on the fact that kind of some of the passion and the fun has gone from reading, writing, making things dynamic. And actually, it's intriguing how you can kind of also then run parallels between that idea and the fact that fewer PRs are now pushing back 
on their clients. Yeah, I tell you what, what, I'm assuming a lot of people, PPRs are in their 20s. Life has got more boring. Life was chaotic when I started in in journalism. Okay, here is this tale. My first job when I was 18 was to go to the Caribbean and interview people for an offshore finance magazine. All expenses paid. I had an apartment in New York and I was paid uh, clothing expenses, all all food done for, whatever. Okay, there was an, I did the Caribbean and another guy called Fraser Cairns had to go and cover Hong Kong. He went missing. He spent all of his money on coke and hookers. <laughs> clear his debts. He went to Venezuela and did a cocaine shipment to Madrid. And he was caught in Madrid and sentenced to 10 years in jail. Whoa. What's hilarious was he was not fired. He saw ads from the, from the prison phone wherever possible. Life what? was chaotic. I remember working with a guy who stole a penguin from London Zoo and kept it in his apartment for a week. People were paid in cash on a Friday. I mean, Jackie, you may remember this culture, what Freak Street was like. It was fucking crazy. I I worked for a guy called Tom Rubithon, who edited, who founded Euro Business. He fired a girl, Bridget, I won't say her surname, and um, she wrestled him to the floor, straddled him, got a metal bin and started whacking him on the head. And he was screaming, (laughs) Charlie, drag her out. I was going, I'm not touching her. But we were all crying with laughter. We got on, I think she got a job back in the end. Life was chaotic, and it, but it's become more boring. So if you're in your 20s and you're thinking, Jesus, work is a grind, people sit with their headphones on, they're not chatting. Yeah, you're right. It, it, life has become more boring, and you're starting to see the quality of people's work. It is hurting well, I was going to say, do you think work. that contributes to when people push back now or, or people's you know, lack of pushing back? Do you think it's, yeah, they're worried now, it's kind they're of... they're worried too. Yeah, like, like an They think they'll get fired. Yeah. You're wrong. Your, your clients want you to express an opinion. Mm. And it takes a bit of good guts to say, no, this is boring. This is wrong. No, do it this way. You're absolutely, honestly, the best way to help your career is to have opinions. Even if you're wrong, people will know that you're an independent thinker and you can be relied on for something new. Well, I've noticed this degradation of education. I've been employing graduate recruits since mm. the 90s, since uh-huh. the late 90s. And Literally, I, I, I've seen the, the downfall, even when it comes to presenting a CV or a covering letter, or mm. if you're lucky to get a covering letter. I do genuinely think that a lot of our education has changed. And you noted it with the lack of English literature courses now available. And I do think that certainly when I went to university, we I only got into university. I blagged my way into university because I was argumentative. I literally walked into, I think I've said this on a different podcast, my university literally had 12 people in its year and it was one of the most oversubscribed drama courses. This one, me and Lyle get on like crazy. Mm. I went to uni with Catherine Cusack and Mark Strong. I mean, like the, the, the <laughs> you know, yeah. the, the level of genius in terms mm. of drama was off the scale. And I only got in on that course because Andy Piasecki, the professor, who's like, he's one of the foremost brains on Shakespeare. He interviewed me and I said to him, well, Shakespeare then was just like EastEnders is now. And he lost his rag mm. at me. He was like, are you describing the greatest poet of our time as akin to Julius Smith and Tony Blood? And I was just like, yes, because yeah. it's entertainment, because it's what the, it's about issues that the people identify with. And he was like, you are talking rubbish. And we had this massive, literal, massive argument. In My father was sitting outside. He just didn't talk to me for the whole way home. He said, I'm ashamed of you. And this guy said, I don't care what grade she gets, she's on my course. 100%. And that's, 
And I thought I was in trouble. I genuinely thought I just lost it. You're in massive trouble with your co-host based on that. I had no idea that was the opinion you went in with. with no, your- I'm with you, Jackie. I love, <laughs> I love that opinion. But, but, but that's it. It's having a personality. It, it's standing out. It's pushing back. It's thinking for yourself. And I think there's a tendency now in the workplace to encourage conformity or to imply that's the way to go. It absolutely is not. My God, you've got to stand out. I'm not even saying in, even in the way you dress. I mean, I mean, I occasionally worked with someone for a fintech and there was a guy who wore sort of three-piece suits. It looked amazing. Why not do that? You, you, honestly, the, the rewards for being different are so huge. The people are shy at work. You don't have to be. You don't have to be, you know, ludicrously extrovert. I'm not. I'm very introverted. I like to sit there and just quietly do my thing. But but listen, I worked for a publishing company called Caspian. We had a receptionist called Rebecca. Her job was to sort out the post and hand it out. She did that, but she also sent a poem to the entire office. And she adapted the night train is coming, saying the post is coming. We hired her as a young journalist, junior reporter. This is Rebecca Byrne Callender. About three years later, she was business editor of the Daily Telegraph. It was personality. Everything she did was hilarious. That's an incredible wow. story. Just brought, you know, gumption and fizz into the office. She used to come in and just give people a massive hug. I remember saying to her, what do you do people who don't like your hug, who are too shy? And she said, well, there's a guy in accounts who was very shy. And she used to sit in his lap and just stroke his face. <laughs> <laughs> she did, the, the rules did not apply to her. She but did her own thing. That wouldn't be allowed now because it would be sexual harassment or, you know, um, uh, bad behavior in the workplace we're also woke Maybe. these days yeah. and that's the thing that is just so i mean i don't agree with Piers morgan on many things but i mm. do agree with him on this whole woke kind of like you know you're not allowed to misbehave you're not encouraged mm. to you're not encouraged to make mistakes yeah. that's another big one and i think that's a huge one because i don't think people learn unless they make mistakes Absolutely. Yeah, there's a, a brilliant, probably a bit aged now, talk. You can find it on YouTube, and it's called This Is Broken by Seth Godin. And he ran a website looking at objects that don't work, such as a cup holder in a car that won't work because when you put the um, handbrake down, it blocks the, the slot. One of his main things was he was looking at why things are broken. And yet one of the things was lack of taking responsibility, that it, the people will say, well, it's not my, really my fault to fix that. Therefore, I don't care that it's broken. And I wonder if you know PR people are afraid of giving offence, of doing the wrong thing. And, but real creativity requires getting things wrong all the time. Uh, Aaron yeah. Sorkin, who wrote The West Wing, when he does a uh, creative session, the first thing he says is, give me your terrible ideas. What are your worst ideas you've had this week? Uh, because people will have in their heart some little thing that they wanted to say, and they're so shy because maybe it's not going to work. So if it's classified as, you know, maybe it's a bad idea, your bad ideas, there are going to be some great ideas in there. Creativity involves mistakes, it involves variation all the time. And you tell people around you who are tolerant of that. So when you've written an article, you've got to show it to them and they're going to go, okay, that works, that doesn't work. That's fine. That's the way it's supposed to be. You, you must be making lots of mistakes to have your successes. You're exactly I right. Agree more. And, you know, I, I don't think we're in a culture now, particularly in the PR agency world, of encouraging that kind of approach and that kind of like helter-skelter and, and, and mm. chaotic approach. And also, let's talk honestly about the subject areas that we're in. You know, you come from finance, high finance. You know, you've talked about working with some on your own podcast with some of the deepest subjects. Mm. We're in tech. And and I think, you know, a lot of people see tech as like, a oh, and there are the, you know, there are the entertainment sides of tech. We do a lot in, in digital entertainment and games and work with sort of household names. But a lot of the subject matter that we deal with is quite dry. 
And in the B2B world, that will be always the case. How would you advise PRs to sort of look at this subject matter and maybe not even understand it entirely themselves and be able to breathe a bit more light into this? Okay, let's start with the not understanding. You're not supposed to understand everything. There's nobody can. There's a great uh, lecture by Milton Friedman, the economist, called No One Knows How to Make a Pencil. And I highly recommend everyone go and listen to this. It's about seven minutes long. He asks, how many people know how to make a pencil? And the answer is zero people. There is no one who knows all the ins and outs of making a pencil. There is the um, the metal ferrule. Well, you need to have iron ore and how to smelt it. You need to know how to make a chainsaw to chop the tree down to make the wood. You know, there's the lead, the graphite. How do you refine that? How do you transport it? This requires hundreds or thousands or millions of people to come together. No one is going to know it. So you need to get over yourself and get very used to asking questions. And the great biography of Leonardo da Vinci by Walter Isaacson, who did that Steve Jobs one. And his main point is Leonardo da Vinci's great secret was asking questions. He made lists of questions to ask people. One of the questions is, you know, to ask about the anatomy of, a, of, a, of something like a woodpecker's tongue. Another one is about to ask about the fortification of the city of Flanders. Leonardo is always asking questions. So never be afraid to ask stupid questions. There's a great chip designer, Dan Liu, L-U-U, has a blog. He designs, you know, microchips, one of the most intelligent people on planet Earth. But he says that most people regard him as one of the most stupid people they've ever met because of his tendency to ask stupid questions. Mm. If he doesn't know something, he'll just come out with it. And he says the trade-off is, is acceptable. People will think he's stupid, but as a result, he gets all of that knowledge. So with your client, ask them again and again about their product and their service until you know it inside out. They won't think you're stupid. They know that you're not going to be an expert. And even if you are, you know, intelligent people love being asked simple questions. You know, in maths, how do we know that you know one plus one equals two? There's a whole division of the philosophy of mathematics. How do we how do we know that proofs are reliable and they are what they are? Intelligent people love being asked straightforward questions. So, I yep. And mm. this thing about having to be an expert in what your client does, your client is the expert. Mm. You're yeah. the expert at communicating what the client does. And that comes through, you know, a series of skills and learning skills and refining your skills. You're never going to improve and you're never going to get better mm. unless you really work to improve your questioning skills at the first outset. And yeah. a lot of people say to me, I'm too shy. I don't want to ask that question. I don't want to ask the question again if I don't ask, understand the answer. And what I try to do is give people sort of little tools to say, listen, could you just explain to me like you'd explain it to your mother? Mm. Don't expect me to understand. Or could you just explain to me one more time so I've got it absolutely correct? I don't want to get this wrong. There are ways that you can introduce your question to make you feel better and to make the person feel better about re-saying what they've said before if you still didn't understand it. And if it gets to a third question, it may not be your fault. It may Mm. be that they aren't explaining it well enough. And then you go, well, this is what I'm here for. I'm here to help you explain this better. And if I don't understand it, how am I going to put it across to somebody else? So there are lots and lots of ways, tools and means of asking questions. Not just, I think a lot of people say, yeah, yeah, yeah. You say it's easy to ask questions, but it isn't because of our ego. And our ego is telling us, I'm supposed to know this. And you're not. 
But that was going to be my point, actually. I think that's an absolutely, again, both of you, like just brilliant, brilliant points. And I, I just find myself, as I quite often do when I when we have guests on, just sitting back and going, just absorb this, Lyle, absorb this, take this into your own world, <laughs> just absorb it. Yeah, this is all brilliant. This is all great knowledge. But actually, it's a really good point that you just made, Jackie, as well, on the, on the back of Charles's excellent point, which is that actually our egos as PRs, young PRs, you know, in like kind of current society and in the current landscape, our egos potentially can't take the fact that we don't know but what we don't understand what we don't realize or what you know a lot of prs don't realize is that on the other side of that transaction your clients egos want you to ask them the questions about their business because that's why they set Mm -hmm. it up in the first place they want to tell people about it they want to you know charles's excellent point about you know intelligent people you know liking being asked stupid questions that's brilliant but intelligent people and people who run businesses also just like being asked questions about what they do and what they run. You know, it's like it's never going to be tedious for these people to explain what it is that they do, because it's the reason they set it up. They want to get the message out there. And what would they rather? Would they rather you just kind of go and have a go at it and the messaging be a bit muddy? And then they'll all of a sudden a week later, they see in the paper or they see on the news something that isn't quite right. Would they rather that you came to them one, two, three, four, maybe times is you know a bit much, but one, two, three times, make sure it's absolutely on point and have an understanding with you and have a relationship with you. Like Jackie and I have spoken so many times about the importance of like PRs having a strong working professional relationship with their clients that involves, you know, sending them up and praising them, but also being like, hang on a minute, that's not clear. And can we make this yeah. clear? You know, we go to them with advice, not the other way around. Really mm. unusual, Charles, that we have a client charter that tells our clients what we expect of them. Ooh, if they I don't like... sign up to that, then we won't represent them. And it's it's a very simple charter and it covers some of this stuff, which is, you know, we're a team on this. You have to mm. help us. You know, and a lot of agencies I know because I've mm. worked with them or worked for them, they hold their clients up there as yes. these, these these godlike creatures Ugh. who you mustn't question and you mustn't yep. ask. You must just literally splurge out what they want you to splurge out and usually they're larger agencies sorry larger agencies but I am going to criticize you who literally bring in a team of autonomous that mm. am I saying that autonomous anyway, automatons automatons that's it and there are certain things you can't say and I, I remember talking mm. to one of my team who left because she wanted to join a big agency and see what the corporate world was all about and I just basically said listen you know with my blessing go and see but you will not get the same kind of ability to be creative with mm. you know, Amazon or Panasonic. And I know because I've worked for all those people because they just don't allow it. You know, you, mm. you know, creativity is not seen as something that is in their wheelhouse. They want you to turn out the messages that they have pre-described for you. Yeah. So you've got that sort of thing. And then you've got the people that come from those large agencies expect thinking that that is the way to do PR. They get into a small agency and they're like, oh, I'll churn out the message that's been you know, described for me. Yeah. That's why I like 100%. to raise my own people. I don't like to take people from other agencies because they've usually been trained really badly in that kind of like message delivery aspect. And they don't think. That's the other thing. Think about the business of your client's business. Think about what they're trying to achieve. Mm. And then equally think about what the journalist on the other end of your missive is trying to achieve doing their job. 
you know, Absolutely. because you as a journalist serve other clients. You serve your readers. You serve, you know, well, your 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 own person, your own publication. But you know, te- technically speaking, most editors or journalists are serving their bosses, and they need to deliver, you know, good stories that are going to help that publication engage with their readership and become an essential read. So, yeah. you know, this is totally true. Um, if I just lob another hand grenade in here, Mother Benoit, okay, this is massive. This is photography. A photograph ah! is half the story for Business Age. I'm going to go 19 out of 20 here, PRs. When I say, can you please send me a photograph to accompany this opinion piece you've sent me? Not only cannot do so, go into a blind panic at the word photography, hyperventilating one of our client. And I've I've had this so much, I've even written a section of businessage.com. You can scroll to the bottom and there's a thing tab called photography. And there's an article I've written called, you know, Guide to Photography for PRs to explain what we expect we do not want a low-res LinkedIn headshot that will not work as a lead image on a full-scale monitor. We're looking for something creative, something with emotion in it. But the, the mere mention of this, I have to explain for four to five PRs, the difference between portrait and landscape ratio. You cannot send a vertical image to a website that's publishing horizontally on a computer screen because when we crop, they will lose the top of their head and their legs. This is news. I've actually had someone email me going, God, I've never heard of the concept of aspect ratio. <laughs> is this not taught? Is it? Is it not mandatory? No. There's a wonderful photographer, Greg Williams, who does the Bond movie posters. He does the Oscars. He does the BAFTAs. And he has a little YouTube course on how to take amazing photos. Nothing to do with the technology or shutter speeds. It's interaction with your subject. Oh. He hides his camera. He often uses an iPhone. iPhone's fine. He'll hide his iPhone and hide his face at the last minute, pop out, and the subject will reel back, smiling and grabbing their head and doing something funny, and bam, he's got a wonderful shot. A great photo sends you to the front of the PRQ. Innocent Smoothies got a £200 million valuation on the back of good photos, because whenever they released their results, they had amazing photos of the three founders rolling around on a load of fruit and veg, or they got some minivan with AstroTurf and did it up, they well, had they wonderful high-res photos. Yeah. They were, really they were sensational. So, the, so the, biz, the editors of the business magazines and newspapers just thought, Innocent Smoothies, we love them. Bosh. Massive photo on the front page of the business section every single goddamn time. And do PRs learn from this example? No, they do not. Nobody can take good photos, and I don't you know, know it's why. So, it's so interesting because um, in the late 90s, yeah, in the late 90s, I co-founded, I was talking to my then um, husband about my website. And I was running a company called Flapjack at the time. And I said, I want to make a, a site. He was a journalist and a graphic designer. And I said, I want to make a site that's much more press friendly. And he said, um, oh, exactly what you said. Just could you just put some high res pictures on the site? If you just get people in your team thinking about supplying pictures, then you could have done half the job, as you said. And I was like, really? Is it that simple? And he was like, yeah, it's really that simple. And I was like, wow, this is golden. I've hit on this great idea. I'm going to make this on my website. Then we got talking to my brother who was in software and web at the time. He said, well, if that's a problem for Jez and it's something you can solve for you, it's a problem for everybody, everybody Mm. in PR. So we founded a site called prshots.com. It's still going now. 
Amazing. Would any PR agency take us up on this? Would they put <laughs> No. They just they're oh, like damn it. not 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 our job. I mean that and it's still that that mindset still is there today. It became and still is a big um part of the fashion industry because the fashion industry gets it. They have their lookbooks, they have mm. their autumn, winter, spring, mm. summer collections. And they jumped on PR shots because it was saving so much money and time mm. for them that because everything is about the picture in fashion. Yep. But can any other PR from any other vertical get that? No. No. And it's just so frustrating. Can't even tell you. It is, but it's, it's crippling for me because I can't publish the articles. People have written opinion pieces and I either have to use some lame stock shop photo from my stock photo, which, okay. I, which I can do, but okay. But um, okay, I have, I mean, I will recommend people just go to my guide on business age at the bottom photography. And I just talk you through what you're looking we'll for. link it in this we'll as well. Yeah, if you, if, you, if, oh, yeah. if you want to. I mean, there's no monetary gain for me, but it's, a, I mean, look at Greg Williams' course. But I say to people, the background is as important as the foreground. There's no point having a you know beautiful looking person if they're standing in front of some rubbish bins or something blurry in the background. I've had some just unbelievably poorly lit shots. Do you know what's like incredible is I, I will then look at the PR, the P, I will Google the PR who I'm talking to, and I'll see they've got Instagram with about two thousand photos. Every one of them lovingly curated. They look stunning <laughs> on the beach, wherever. I'm thinking, why are you taking photos that quality in your private life, and you cannot do it with your client? A smartphone is perfectly good enough. You do not need a Canon Mark II to take a publishable photo these days. Smartphones are incredibly good. But your subject should have emotion. They should not be just waiting for the shutter to go click. They should be doing something. I once saw a guy, sold his business for 100 million. Uh, it was a mattress business. And the photographer caught him as he was doing up his tie. And he was looking smug. And he just had a beautiful expression on his face, pulling up his tie. Gosh, that's enough. It was just a little something to take it out of the ordinary. This is a topic that's incredibly close to my heart because as an actor alongside kind of hosting this podcast and, and doing the other things I do, uh, just perennially, like every couple of years, it's called like a headshot refresh in the industry. <laughs> and you have to do headshots and it's like kind of the Joey from Friends thing where it's like, look down. Oh. Look up there. That is, you know, that's that's a gift for you, the viewers on YouTube. There you go, and that was really poor for me. That was really funny. Um, Do you know what I mean? And this is, you know, but you have to like the best headshot photographers, even. You know, um, I won't name any names. Most of them I actually can't remember, mm. you know, from when I just graduated drama school. But my first set of headshots when I was quite new to it, you know, I wasn't really doing an awful lot behind the camera. Uh, sorry, in front of the camera. Mm. And, and the headshot photographer was kind of just going, yeah, maybe we'll just do one like this. The best headshot photographers I've had recently have like kind of given you, you know, because they realize they appreciate you're an actor. And obviously I know a lot of people mm. who work in business aren't actors and performers, but they appreciate that, like, you know, you're human and, and you have natural reactions and, you know, you have kind of performative instincts. We all do. I, I firmly believe that. And they just kind of give you something, you know, they give you, yeah. I, you know, I, I got married a couple of 18 months ago and our, our wedding photographer kind of appreciated that. I mean, fair enough, me and my wife are both performers. So he had a relatively easy, <laughs> time, but he, yeah. but he, you know, he realizes that everyone has like kind of that, that natural instinct to kind of do something a bit out of the ordinary, if given the opportunity to do so, if the framework Absolutely. is there and, and you're so right. I think, you know, you, you, that's a really left field or actually I imagine it's seen as quite a left field tip, but it shouldn't be seen as left field. It's, it's front and center. It really should be a top yep. tip for any PR. Like accompanying materials are as important as the copy itself, really, if you're being honest, because it catches people's eye and it, you know, and, and that's what it's all about. I suppose the, to close this episode off, 
Charles, and thank you so much for for being. Who's already? I can talk all day. Yeah, I know this is the thing. We haven't even got onto Aust- Estonia, and like you know, you living in Estonia. We'll have to have you back on if you want. I'm just curious as to what the listeners are thinking right now. Whether they're <laughs> cursing my name or whether they're recognizing what I'm saying. As I said, I don't think I'm making any friends, but I honestly say, like, if I have public have worked with you and we've been successful, then you're one of the good PRs. <laughs> this is for the four out of five I've not published stuff from. So I apologise if I've insulted people. I'll I, I cannot wait. I don't think you're having a, a lot of a, part, a big part of this podcast is to get the real people out who are in the mm. industry or around the industry who are helping people learn how to do this job so much better and think about the wider implications of what they're doing. So I think you, your your advice is golden, and if it's critical, all the better. Absolutely you know, we need criticism. Yeah. 100% like we, we, okay. we revel in it yeah for sure oh here we go is this is this the final, my final tip just as people are leaving yeah. is how do I know if you're being creative it's your first line there's a phrase in journalism hook them and hold them your first line should be kablam say something that's so shocking or intriguing or lyrical or such a big promise that the reader goes oh I've, I've got to read on what I tend to read, read is what, what I call the generic intro. Maybe an opinion piece, but always begins, in today's global economy, businesses yeah. are asked to do more with less. And I think it's dead on sentence one. They've killed yeah. themselves. Don't do that. Find your most important and interesting point and stick it up the top. I mean, here's, here's one from um, the author is Douglas Murray in The Spectator. And I recommend your listeners read The Spectator, The New Statesman, irrespective of your political views, because the writing is so good. And this is just an opening line. The first time I met Tommy Robinson, I told him to fuck off. And you think, <laughs> we're in for a hostile moment here. You're going to read on. What's the next sentence? You're going to read. I mean, look at the opening lines of Marina Hyde in The Guardian. She is a gorgeous lyrical writer. You don't have to agree with her politics. I mean, by the time you got to the end, you almost always do, because she's made you laugh and talked you around. Really fun there fact about Marina lines. Hyde is my my friend works for the Guardian. I won't mention his name, but he's a massive Marina Hyde fan, and he but isn't everybody in the office. She's she's so good. So like, I'd say book find your favorite authors, bookmark them, and look at their opening sentences. Now we could do an entire session on endings. Endings are more difficult, but if your opening sentence is a blockbuster, you're forgiven a lot of sins, and it gets you off to the right tone. The reader is with you. They want to read your article. So anyway, that's my closing tip before I, I um. Scurry away. What's your opening line? <laughs> I think it's a brilliant, I think it's a brilliant, brilliant tip. And actually, you've kind of not only got that tip across brilliantly at the end of this podcast, you actually embodied it at the beginning of the podcast because the second we introduced you, your first line was four out of five PRs are dreadful. Did I hold them? I don't know. That's it. No, I think you did hold people because I think you know that one out of five will go, thanks, Charles. And four out of five will go, why? Tell me why. Tell me why I'm bad. Yes. Good. Well, um, I hope you know, so. And, and, and it's been a huge you. pleasure coming on. And I, and I love the fact you do this podcast and it just shows what passion you have. And really, I think that's what it's about. It's about creativity and passion, bringing personality to the job. So yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Oh, well, that's thank you for well. coming. And we will ask you back. Absolutely. If you'll come. I'd love to come back on. Brilliant, Charles. Thank you so much. We would absolutely love to have you back on because there is still so much to talk about. And we, yes. you know, I, this episode has absolutely flown by. I've had an absolutely brilliant time. Yeah. And thank you so, so much for, for being so articulate and for being so eloquent in your views and as well. I, and, I've uh, got so many references now that I need to go off and watch and listen to and read. So I know. I do keep telling people to go off and check out so-and-so. So, yeah. Yeah. 
quite often I'll, I'll when I'm editing, I'll listen. But obviously, I'm listening back as I edit, and I'll kind of make lists of mm. what people refer to. I mean, this is going to require, I think, the most. Yeah, you've got the longest. <laughs> so far, and I'm, I'm here for it. So thank you so much, Charles. Really, really appreciate you coming on. And we would absolutely love to have you back on as well. So we'll definitely be in touch very, very soon. And the many, the plethora of references that Charles has just uh, has just kind of... Unleashed upon us. Yeah, unleashed upon us. You know, absolutely, <laughs> which we should absolutely adore. Um, we will definitely be linking one or two of those. Definitely that article that Charles has written uh, in, in Business Age, where we'll 100% do that. But listeners, thank you so much for joining us once again on the latest episode of The Recipe Art. A few T's and C's, as we always do. If you want to get in touch with us, you can do so by emailing either info at therestispr.com or info at demozo.com we will pick up on both those email addresses visit both of those websites as well therestispr.com for information about the podcast and demozo.com for all the brilliant work demozo has been up to and will continue to get up to in the weeks and months to come you can also get in touch with jackie and myself via linkedin we will pick up messages on that and you can also follow us on twitter at the rest is pr capital t capital r capital i capital pr really is as simple as that but in the meantime, we cannot thank Charles enough. It's been an absolutely stellar episode, a fantastic chat from Charles, Jackie, and myself. We'll see you next week. It's bye for now.